the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And I think about those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Man, in the, in the front of them, everything looked like all hope was lost. The power of God they had seen in their midst must be gone. And then a stranger walks up beside them. And it says, their hearts were strangely Warm. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis morning church I want to welcome you again to worship take your copy of God's word and turn with me in the Bible to Romans chapter 8 whether you have a print copy like I have in my hands or whether it's a digital copy if you just have a phone with you then perhaps you would just open Google and type in that Google bar Romans 8 colon 18. That's where we're going to be in just a moment. That'll take you right to this passage of Scripture. That's important because I want you to see I'm not making this up. This is the Word of God, and and that's the most important thing that you'll hear today. While you're finding your place there, I want to just speak to you as a pastor, as a shepherd for a couple of moments. There's some things you need to be aware of. One of those is taking place tonight at 5 p.m., We're calling it Revive Night, but I want you to understand what this is. It's just simply a night of worship where we as the body of Christ are gathering together to sing some of the songs we sing regularly on Sunday morning, to pray together. We'll open God's word, just spend some time in his presence, about 90 minutes of worship beginning at five o'clock this afternoon, and it's called Revive Night. I hope you'll be here. It's right back in this room. You don't want to miss it. Two weeks from today, we've got another special day in the life of our church. It's something we do every year. It's called Harvest Sunday. It too has a specific meaning. This is a day where we ask everybody to be a part of giving generously to the ministry of our church. Now, there are a lot of folks who do this on a week-in, week-out basis. But some folks never get involved in, in the generosity aspect of our mission here at Mission Hill. Your giving makes a difference and allows us to do the ministry uh, that we do on a 24-7 basis, 365 days a year. But the reality is sometimes we need a, a special focus on that. So on that day, we're asking that everybody gives something. Now, if you're a family like mine, we were paid this week. And, and so we believe in giving of our first fruits. We give of the tithe as a beginning place. So we take 10% of our gross income, and that's where we start in our giving. We do that each and every time God blesses us with income. Some of you are not there yet. Maybe giving to a church is not something that's been a part of your life practice. I would just encourage you to start somewhere, and particularly in two weeks on Harvest Sunday, to give something. Here's the reality. As we look toward the end of the year, we need a week where we get about $120,000 to prepare us to do the ministry that we have around Christmas and to end the year strong. That's about three times a really good week for us. 
So the only way we get there is through sacrificial, generous giving from folks just like you. So thank you in advance for that. Romans chapter 8. In just a moment, we'll begin reading in verse 18. But first, one of the most familiar verses in Scripture. Read this with me, Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. You may have it on a cross-stitch painting on your wall. You may have it on a coffee mug. It may be on a pillowcase. I don't know. It's one of the most familiar, but it can be one of the most frustrating. Sometimes you look at your life and you say, I don't get it. God's not working for my good. This doesn't make sense to me. Sometimes you want to cry out to God and and you want to say, I don't understand. Why is this? What are you up to? It's not uncommon to find yourself at that strange place between the cry we hear in scriptures. I, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm living in faith, but I, I feel faithless at the moment. And for a lot of people, that's where they stop their faith journey. They don't understand what God has done. And, and so they make the logical decision, since God is not meeting the needs the way I wish he would, then he must not be real. As we've said, as we've journeyed through Romans, they make the mistake of basing their faith not on fact and, and not on what scripture has said, but on the feelings of the moment. That's what many in our society are doing it today. They call it deconstructing their faith. They, they say they've come from a place where they had an understanding of what it meant to be a follower of God, and yet the circumstances of life or the culture around them have caused them to say, surely this must not be true. They look at their lives or they look at history. They don't see God or, or sense his presence, so they determine he's not real. In fact, Suffering is probably the number one reason that people walk away from their faith. Just think how how they're construing this in their mind. Life has seemed difficult, unfair. God hasn't intervened. So does he really care? Is Is he real? Jerry Seinfeld has a show called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. He interviews different individuals, and in his interview with Ricky Gervais, an atheist, he asked him if he ever prays. Gervais said, no. Why would I ask God to help me find my keys if I believe he stood and did nothing during the Holocaust? And that's the way a lot of people arrive at their understanding of God. If God's not working things out the way I think they should be worked out, then maybe he's not even there. Maybe he doesn't even care. He must not be real. We're going to deal with that some, but before we do, I want to remind you of the totality of Scripture's teachings about God and how he comes to a point of our understanding what he's up to. Proverbs 25, 2 says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Did you catch that? In other, in other words, we're not always going to understand God. Isaiah forty-five fifteen. truly, you are a God who's been hiding himself. Sometimes we're going to feel like God's not around. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. 
Perhaps the most familiar one, Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, lest you hear this and be discouraged and, and think, well, how could I ever know God enough to trust him? How could I ever wrap my mind around a God who doesn't want me to know what he's up to? Let me remind you how scripture teaches this whole thing ends. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, it says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You see, the faith life for the person that runs after Jesus is that balance between now and then. Uh, Understanding that there's more to this life than what I see right now. There's more that I'm going to experience than than what I'm experiencing right here. Uh, The the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard put it this way, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. And sometimes on this side of heaven, we never understand what God is up to. And sometimes we never will. But Romans 8 gives us some theological and, and scriptural foundational understanding to to help us navigate what we do when it seems like God's not making sense. So I'm going to read that, but first let's pray once more. So Father, in the name of Jesus, speak. Into our hearts, Lord, speak. Into our ears, Lord, speak. Into our mind, O God, speak. We desire to hear from you. And we're listening. So, Lord, let the words of my mouth and even my thoughts be pleasing to you. And may we walk away with a clear understanding of your redeeming power. May you redeem this time for our good and your glory. And may you do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. I, this is Paul, Consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
And so in this very first word, we see two certainties. The certainty of suffering. There will be suffering in this world. You, you will face things that you don't understand. There will be things you encounter that seem unfair. Scripture makes that clear. But the flip side of that coin is that that is not all there is. There is more to the story. In fact, it calls it glory. You, you can look at this whole passage and, and you can see it as a description between our groans to God's glory. We live between that which is not yet and that which is already. That's what the kingdom of God is. We know the king is coming and his kingdom will be fulfilled. But we also understand that if we're followers of Christ, we're part of the kingdom of God. As Christ followers, we understand we're in this world, but we are not of this world. We will experience pain in the present, but we have the hope of a future glory. Look at verse 19. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who was subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. Now, what is that all about? Paul's taking us back to something he taught us in chapter 5 and verse 12. Let me just read that to you so that you can be reminded. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. What's he saying? God created a perfect world. That's the beginning of the book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he went on this six-day creating spree where everything he touched was magic. It was fire. It was good. And God created everything and said, that's good. And then he created man and woman. He said, oh, no, that's really good. And then he took man and woman, the crown of his creation, and he placed them in his creation, paradise, the Garden of Eden. And he said, you can do anything you want to in here except this one thing. Leave this one tree alone. You got it? He said, got it. He said, good. And so they began to live life in paradise, God's created beings. But then something bad happened. Our first parents sinned. They broke God's law. They did the one thing. Say one thing. They did the one thing he said don't do. And sin entered this world. And as a result, we believe in our church and this doctrine that's called original sin that says because of that sin, the sin of our first parents, we are born with sin. And just like that sin of our first parents separated them from God and caused paradise to be broken and lost, in our life, because of that sin that we're born with, we're separated from God, and life doesn't seem like paradise. Now, the good news is, we've seen God's remedy to that. The Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, what we celebrate and remember as Christ followers, is that Jesus took the penalty and the punishment for our sin so that he could turn around and give us life. But in the midst of that, we're living in paradise lost. We're living in a broken world. When sin entered the world, it caused a whole host of problems. Death, disease, disaster, depression, 
any kind of dysfunction you can imagine. There's going to be a day when it gets better. There's going to be a new day. But until that day, everywhere we look, until there's a new heaven and a new earth, everything is a mess. It's not the way it should be. And so Paul says in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. This is the first of three groans in Romans 8. Do you know what a groan is? Did did anybody groan before you got out of bed this morning? Let me see that hand. Yeah, the older you get, the more you groan. Sometimes in our our bedroom, it'll be early morning. One of the alarms will go off, and one of us will make a noise, and the others will say, hey, are you okay? And we'll just have to say, yeah, I was just trying to move my arm. <laughs> just trying to move my leg. And you just, ah, you groan. This says all of creation groans. What is a groan? It, it's not a specific word. It's, a, it's more of an emotional or an empathetic outburst because of this feeling that is rising within you, either emotionally or physically. You don't know what to say. You just let noise come out, and it's a groan. Why is all of creation groaning? Because everywhere you look, you see that things are not the way they should be. So we see this in our world. Ever since the fall, earthquakes Natural disasters. We see it today, right? Wars. Rumors of wars. Creation just... Take our individual lives out of it. All of creation just seems to be in a mess. And what's the analogy? The analogy is childbirth. He says creation is going through these labor pains. What is he trying to tell us? Well, those of you that have experienced know that childbirth is a painful process. I remember when our our first son, Micah, was to be born, and um, man, his due date was quickly approaching, and and Kimberly was just getting more and more uncomfortable, and then that due due date came, and it passed, and she was more and and more uncomfortable, and we were just trying to do anything we could to help, help make that baby come on into this world. And so we had heard, you know, if it's a full moon, get out and walk in the moon and that's going to make the baby come. So it was a full moon in Montgomery, Alabama. And we would go and we'd walk around the block. And I can remember even saying, hey, lift up your shirt so the moon rays will get on it. Make that baby come. I mean, you want to do anything uh, to to make that discomfort stop. (laughs) I can remember when Luke was born down at Sarasota Memorial And again, the same thing. Now I had seen, this was the fourth time I was watching my wife in all of this pain. And I was trying to empathize with her. I'm not sure she felt the empathy that that I was trying to offer because she was feeling the pain. And, you know, I was in pain too. I was getting hungry. And so so I remember one day in Sarasota, I said, I'm hungry. And she said, go get something to eat. And so I, I said, all right. So I, I just walked across the street, and she loves Mexican, and I love Mexican, and, and they answered a prayer. There was a Tijuana Flats, and I went in Tijuana Flats, but I wanted to be with my wife because she was in pain. And, and so I got my Tijuana Flats to go. And I remember, I'll never forget, walking into that hospital room with that smelly Mexican food and my wife looking at me, and in another otherworldly voice said, get out of here. She was in pain. 
Now, why is he saying the pains of childbirth? Listen, when you're going through the pain of childbirth, you know that eventually you're going to be delivered from that. And when you're delivered from that, there's a new life on the other side. Do you see what Scripture is teaching you? All of creation is groaning like the pain of childbirth. And in the moment, it's painful. But a new life is coming. In the moment, it may feel like it's killing us. But a new life is coming. And he will make all things new. So you're not alone. All creation is groaning. But look at verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if you hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. He's saying all creation is groaning. But make no mistake, I know it. We are groaning. You are groaning. Paul is saying, hey, I recognize you're walking through things that you don't understand, that you disagree with, that you wish were not the case, and so you groan because you don't know what else to do. So what do we do? Well, a farmer would understood this term he used, first fruits. The, the farmer would take that seed and, and put it in the ground, and he would till the ground and he would water the ground and eventually that seed would begin to produce a crop. And biblically speaking, the people who followed after God would, were taught that when that first fruit of the crop begins to come up, that was an opportunity for them to thank God for his presence and provision in their life. And so that's where we get the biblical principle of giving generously of the first fruit. So you recognize that God's the giver of all of it, but the best and the first I'm going to give to him. And by the way, that's why when we get paid, the first thing we do is make sure we've given back to the Lord through his local church. That's our first fruit. But what does it mean in this passage? He says, you have the first fruits of the spirit in you. Well, he's reminding us what he would say later in scripture. One day we're going to see him face to face. But until that moment, guess what? You're not left alone. When you become a follower of Christ, what have we already learned? The Holy Spirit of God indwells us. And he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That's the first fruits of God. We've got the presence of God with us. When we're groaning, when we don't know how we're going to make it, we have his presence. Do you understand how big a deal that is? Now, we're saved when we're justified. And when we're justified, we're saved from that penalty of sin. We're being saved as we're sanctified. And when we're sanctified, we're saved from the power of sin. One day, we will be saved and we'll be glorified. And when we're glorified, we're saved from the presence of sin. We're not glorified yet, but we're looking forward to that day. Until that day, we have the Holy Spirit within us telling us what's coming our way. If you're walking as a child of God with the Spirit of God, your communion with the Spirit in your life, whether it's through reading His Word, through worshiping Him in praise, through praying together, that communion of the Spirit what should be what keeps you going because you realize, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. But in the meantime, he says, we've got these unredeemed bodies, <laughs> How many of you know your body's unredeemed? Yeah. What am I saying? Well, 
I'm simply saying, look at me. It ain't getting any better. Now, you can go see a plastic surgeon. You can get all the fake help you want, but it ain't, it ain't getting any better. You came with an expiration date. And one day, this, what the Bible calls an earth tent, this physical body, it's going to cease to exist. Now, here's the good news. You're not a body. You understand that, right? Some of you, you spent way too much time in front of the mirror this morning because you think you're a body. You're not a body. You're a soul. And your soul is going to spend forever somewhere. But this body, it's unredeemed. Now, we're promised that one day we're going to get a redeemed body, just like Jesus. Our body will be redeemed. Thank you, Jesus. No more groaning because of the aches and the pains of the body, right? But until that day, we're wearing down. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.